Today on Meet Your Body, we're talking all about endometriosis. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Jessica Vallant, a physical therapist and Pilates teacher, and I want to bring science-based knowledge, empathy, courage, support, love, and hopefully some fun to the journeys we have with our bodies. There is hope and strength in your body, and my goal is to help you find it. Hi and welcome back. I'm so happy to have you here today where the sun is finally shining again. We have had quite a bit of rain here in Denver and it is not typically like this at all. And it's times like this that I'm reminded that I'm basically a battery that needs the sun to recharge on a very regular basis. And when I don't see it, things get a little bit cold in my world and a little bit low energy. So I'm really happy to have the sun back out today. And I'm happy to be talking to you about a subject very near and dear to my heart that has defined a lot of my life, and that is endometriosis. So we're going to talk about the facts around endometriosis, what endometriosis is. We'll talk about common symptoms, common myths around the disease, We'll talk about certain treatments, and then I'm going to tell you my entire personal story as well. And what I'm really hoping is that if you are going through anything like this, if you have endometriosis, if you have a loved one who has endometriosis, I hope that you come away simply knowing that you aren't alone, having a little more information at your fingertips, having a way to be a better advocate for yourself and having some tools to move forward in a place as always here of empowerment and strength and hope. So first, before we really get into anything else, we need to talk about the definition of endometriosis. We want to talk about what is endometriosis. So endometriosis is the condition in which cells similar to the lining of the uterus, which is called the endometrium. That's where the word comes from. So the lining of the uterus is called the endometrium. So endometriosis is where cells similar to the lining of the uterus grow outside the uterus. Okay. That's what endometriosis is. Now it used to be believed that it was the exact same as the lining. And you'll even probably find that in some of my really old blog posts because that was the previous definition of endometriosis. You can even still find that online, that it is the cells of the lining of the uterus. But now, current research is actually showing us that it's cells similar to the lining of the uterus. So that might seem like a really fine line to walk, But it's important to know simply when it comes to one research and where it's going. So luckily there's more research being involved. But two, when we get into some of the thoughts around treatment for endometriosis, it's important to understand just this, that endometriosis, again, it is similar to the lining of the uterus, but it's not the exact same. So it's not going to act the same. That's the important thing for you to know if you are in a place that you need to be making decisions for yourself and you have doctors consulting with you. Make sure that they are speaking in that language, that they understand that it sells similar, but it's not the exact same. All right. Because again, it's going to inform some of the decisions that are made for possible treatments in 
your individual case. So let's dive into that. So definition of endometriosis, cells that are similar to the lining of the uterus grow outside the uterus. Typically, it's most common that it grows somewhere in the abdominal cavity or the pelvic cavity. So that means that you have things, those cells growing and living outside of the uterus. So for me, I can tell you, I have it all around my appendix. It's into my hip. I have it attached to my intestines, to my stomach. I have organs that are attached to my abdominal wall because of these cells growing all over. And that's the most common place is really in the abdominal cavity and in the pelvic cavity itself. But on autopsy, actually in people, they have found endometriosis in the brain in some people. They've had it throughout the body. So it's just important, again, to kind of grasp that it is far reaching. And again, it's very misunderstood. We don't know why this is happening, but that is what happens with endometriosis. So let's talk about why that's a problem. So if you have cells that are similar to the lining of your uterus growing outside of your uterus, it means that each time that you cycle, so if you are having a cycle as a woman, if you're having a cycle and having a period, those cells are going to act the same as the lining of the uterus. But when you have a period or you have your cycle, when you menstruate, you slough off what's happening in the uterus through your period. You are able to bleed and it comes out of the body. Okay, we release it, right? We release it through our period out of the body. But imagine that same action happening in all of this tissue now that you have growing outside of your uterus. So I'll use my own body as an example. So I have these cells that are now on my intestines and on my stomach. So when I cycle, they act the same. They still bleed, okay? They still grow, they still bleed, but that blood has nowhere to go because it is stuck in my abdominal cavity. So it causes inflammation, it causes a whole host of problems, and it turns into scar tissue that we call lesions, endometrial lesions. And all of a sudden now that happens over and over and over again. And so those lesions get stronger and bigger and they grow throughout the body. And then again, each time there's blood, each time you're actively bleeding with a cycle, you're having pain and inflammation and problems. So most of our symptoms are coming from those two areas, if I have to summarize, is from the inflammation and the pain that comes from the bleeding itself, from those tissues. And then secondarily, from the scar tissue and the lesions that form from that constant bleeding and then bleeding again, but the blood having nowhere to go and it turns into scar tissue. So that is kind of in a grand summary, what endometriosis is. So let's talk about some facts about endometriosis. In general, it's agreed that one in 10 women have endometriosis. And I have seen that percentage go all the way up to 25% in some studies. But in general, it's agreed 10% of women around the world have endometriosis. It is not known why we get endometriosis. There is not an agreed upon reason that you get it. There are some various theories. And again, some of the theories that were common when I was diagnosed almost 20 years ago have now been put to the side. They're not agreed upon. 
So I'm not even going to go over all the theories because again, no one agrees on the reason why. The important thing to know is we don't know why. You don't, you didn't do anything to cause your own endometriosis. We don't know why we get it. It also, another fact, it takes an average of eight years for someone to be correctly diagnosed with endometriosis takes a very long time. And one of those reasons it because is because it looks like many other things. So it can mimic many other diseases. Another reason it takes so long is the only way to diagnose endometriosis, which also known as endo. You'll hear me say endo a lot today. The only way to get a true diagnosis is through surgery. It does not show up on any tests. So you, and again, you'll hear this through my own story. If you are going through it or you've been through it, you know, you'll have a million tests most likely prior to surgery. So people might have an idea that you have endo and they're using the test to kind of eliminate other things it might be, but the only way to truly diagnose it is through surgery, going in and looking to find it. Another important fact about endo is that pain levels don't necessarily correlate with the severity of endometriosis you have. That's just something to keep in mind. You might have extremely high, high pain levels around your endo, but in surgery, they find very little and then vice versa. You might have very few symptoms. And I know people who have no symptoms and they go in for surgery for something else and they come out with a diagnosis of endometriosis because they just happened to find it when they were in there, but the person has no symptoms whatsoever. So it's definitely a spectrum and it's not a direct correlation. So don't ever think, and I've seen this with clients that I've worked with and people I've talked to who again have very high pain levels. They come out of surgery and they say, oh my gosh, but they said I barely have any and they feel like it's all in their head. That's not true. It is not a direct correlation. So what matters is your symptoms and how you feel. Another important thing to know, and this to me is just something again, that's part of kind of just feeling empowered around what you have The NHS in the UK has named endometriosis one of the top 20 most painful medical conditions that you can have. I think this is important, again, because it kind of will validate what you are feeling if you do have endometriosis. It is a disease, and I have experienced this, that is easily brushed off. Again, it's not well understood, especially from doctors and the healthcare professionals that I've seen. It's not well understood in research, and we can easily feel that we aren't getting the care or the treatment or what we need, and it's easy to start to doubt ourselves and what we're feeling. So know that there is now a health organization that has declared endometriosis one of the top 20 most painful conditions in the world, most painful medical conditions in the world. And again, that's just part of validating what you feel. And then the final fact I think is important to know is that there is no cure. Endometriosis is not a curable disease. There are many treatments and we're going to cover those. And I don't say this again to make you lose hope whatsoever. It's just a fact and it's something to know as you're doing your own research and as you're consulting with doctors, if anyone tells you, oh, this is just going to cure your endo and you'll move on, find a different doctor who understands it better because there is not a specific cure for endo. What there is, is there are techniques and there are tips and there are management ways. There are lifestyle management 
ways and changes that we can make to absolutely feel our best in our bodies and live life to the fullest, even with endometriosis. And that's what we really want to focus on today. All right, let's talk about common symptoms with endometriosis because there are quite a few. There are some fairly obvious ones and the ones that you'll see at the top of the list if you Google endometriosis symptoms. And one of the most common and top listed is a painful and heavy period. And again, yes, this is possible, but it's not always the case. Endometriosis will present differently in everyone. So these are just common symptoms. Painful and heavy periods, pelvic pain, abdominal pain, cramping, sharp pains, fatigue, depression, pain with sex, fertility issues, digestion issues such as constipation and bloating, joint and muscle pain, and a high reactivity to exercise, meaning what you would see as normal exercise could make you more sore than it might otherwise. And those are just a few of the symptoms listed. You could also have secondary things, and the depression is kind of a part of that as well. When you live with chronic pain, especially if you haven't been diagnosed yet, and you are in the midst of feeling so much pain and no one can tell you why, there can be a lot of secondary issues. Like fatigue can be a normal part of endo, and then you'll have more fatigue on top of that from the anxiety and stress you're feeling from not getting a diagnosis. You might stop exercising, which means you'll feel more lethargic. You could get joint pain because you're afraid to exercise because you don't know what will make you worse. So like I said, these are some kind of initial symptoms that you might feel that are a direct result of endo. And then there are so many secondary issues that could be a part of this as well that are really associated with any kind of disease when we aren't getting the diagnosis and our needs met around that. And I also want to take a minute to say from a personal standpoint, again, after almost 20 years of having this disease, I can say that my symptoms are wide and far reaching and they can change. And I am at the point I've listened so long and so hard to my body that I know sometimes when a symptom comes on that wouldn't fit into this paradigm, and I know it's my endo. For example, personally, like I mentioned, I know from surgery that I have endometriosis wrapped and scars and lesions wrapped around my appendix, which is on my right side, reaching into my hip. I also know, separate to that, I have a history of right SI pain and right hip pain. Chronic. It comes and goes. And if I'm not careful with my workouts, it's going to flare up. As a part of that, every time I do inner thigh work, if I try to do inner thigh work or if I do inner thigh work on the reformer in my Pilates practice, it flares my endometriosis pain. There is nothing online or in research that's going to tell me that that's a symptom. But after this much time, I simply know intuitively, I know in my gut and from everything I just told you anatomically, it makes sense to me that if I have lesions and scar tissue all around that area, that I could be flaring it up with certain exercises. So I avoid them. I've learned to do that. And again, someone else might look at me, a healthcare professional and say, oh, that's not endo. I'll tell you what, I know it is. I know it's from that scar tissue that I have, and it's not worth it to me to push that one single movement with the fact that it flares me up and causes pain. 
So I say that in order to tell you, listen to your gut. And you might not be there yet. Believe me, it took me years and years and years to kind of get to that point that I could listen to it and be objective and really kind of cause and affect it out. So you might not be there yet. But what I do say is, listen, what is your body telling you? And don't think anything is wrong or crazy or out of the realm of possibility with endometriosis. Even though it is not categorized as an autoimmune disease, it acts like an autoimmune disease, which means it's not always clearly defined, which means, like I said, that high reactivity, we could feel that in a lot of different places. We could be react very um, kind of like our body is overly sensitive to certain exercises, to certain things that might be happening to us, to certain medical procedures. We might just have that overreactivity. Endometriosis is also associated with that stress and anxiety like I talked about. It's associated with hypermobility, which is really interesting and something that I deal with in my own body. So again, it is far-reaching. It is um, not clearly understood. It doesn't have clear rules that it follows. So when it comes to your symptoms and what you're feeling, write them down if you need to, look for patterns, and start to own your own endometriosis. Okay, Don't brush it off. We have to own it and we have to be an active participant in our own healthcare and an active participant in how we react and what makes us feel good and what makes us feel bad. And that can feel like a lot of work at first, but once you're used to that, once you're into it and you start to see the patterns, it causes freedom in this place that can feel very not freeing. It can feel like you have a little bit of control in a body that feels out of control. So once you start to understand your own patterns, it opens up a whole realm of possibility of what we can do with our endometriosis. So let's cover some myths around endometriosis. And these are important to understand because it's going to help you be an advocate for yourself. It's going to help you know more as you go into consult with doctors. So the first myth that I want to talk about is the myth that hysterectomy fixes endometriosis. It does not. It absolutely does not. And yet it is still used by many people as a quote unquote cure for endo. And there's a couple reasons why it doesn't. One is you could have a hysterectomy and they'll remove your uterus. And let's say you still have one or both ovaries. You are still cycling. Okay. So any of that tissue we talked about that's outside of the uterus, they're not removing that with a hysterectomy. They're just removing your uterus. So all those other cells are still all over the place, wherever they're growing, and you might still be cycling. And so they're still going to bleed and create scar tissue. And that's what happened to me. I had a hysterectomy three years ago. I am not in menopause yet. I wasn't then. I'm not now. I kept one ovary, so I still cycle and I still get my pain every other month when I cycle. I still get my endometriosis pain. Yes, it is less and it might be from the surgery. It might just be from getting older. It is less, but it is still there. So that's one reason. The other reason is, like I said, they're removing the uterus, but they're not removing any of the other things outside of it. So you still have endometrial tissue and you still have those lesions and scar tissue 
Okay. So hysterectomy, while it is removing the uterus and it might help some of your pain, it is not a cure and it is not going to relieve all of your pain. That's an important expectation to have going in. And yes, I have seen women that a hysterectomy has helped them tremendously. So I'm not saying it doesn't make a difference because it might, but it is not a cure and it is not a for sure thing. And it just simply anatomically and physiologically, there is no reason that it should be considered a cure for endometriosis. So I always like to say that and point that out because it's a really important expectation and understanding to have as you go into making decisions for yourself. Another myth is that it's just heavy periods. And hopefully everything we've said today has kind of covered that, but Some people either think it's only heavy periods, like, oh, it's endometriosis, that's just a bad period. And there's a lot I could say, (laughs) there's a lot I could say about that, about the gaslighting that's involved with that and about the fact that we're brushed off, like, oh, just deal with it. What's the big deal, right? Just rest an extra day, just take more ibuprofen. Nope, sorry, that's not going to cover it. It's not going to cut it. Endometriosis is not just an extra heavy period. And then also the other side to that is that Just because you have endo, it doesn't mean you have heavy periods. That's kind of the symptom that for whatever reason has been attached to endo, but it's not the case for everyone. Um, In the years prior to my diagnosis, my period was really normal. It was very normal. It was very on time. I had a normal cycle. So I didn't fit that paradigm. So it's not always the case. Another myth is that it only affects the uterus and the pelvis, and we've covered that. But again, keep in mind, it can affect a lot of different organs. Another myth is that endometriosis makes you infertile. And I have a lot around this because it was a big part of my own story that I'll get into here in a minute, but it not necessarily, okay? Yes, one of the symptoms can be fertility issues, absolutely, a hundred percent, one of the symptoms of endo can be fertility issues. And I experienced that as well, but it's important to understand that it does not necessarily make you infertile. It's not a direct cause and effect. Okay. It will, it could limit it. It can make it harder, but please don't think just because you have a diagnosis of endometriosis that you are automatically infertile. That is not true. It's again, something important to keep in mind and learn about, but don't think that you absolutely cannot have kids if you have endometriosis. Another myth to keep in mind is that it always improves after menopause. This isn't always the case as well. In some people it can and does, but it isn't that direct cause and effect either. It can definitely be something we feel and experience throughout our entire life. Another myth around endo is that you can't exercise with endo. And I will just say from a personal perspective, that's a myth. It is not true. Exercise saves me day after day after day with my endometriosis. Yes, you may have to adjust how you exercise or move, but you absolutely can still exercise. And then the biggest myth that I want to touch on is that endometriosis is a prison sentence for our life or for our bodies. And that's not true either. If you are getting your information somewhere that feels defeating or discouraging, um, that leaves you without hope, go somewhere else for your information because you can live an absolutely full life with endometriosis. And it's important to know that and it's important to believe in that. 
So I'm going to take the time now to tell you my story with endo and how it has looked for me, how it continues to look for me. And then after we talk about this, we're going to get into some treatment options as well. So my story, believe it or not, actually starts. And if you have listened to one of the first podcast episodes I have, I told my entire health story there. Um, So you might know this already and you can go back to get more details there. But I actually started my period when I was eight years old. And I won't go into all the details around that. Again, you can listen to that previous podcast episode if you want. But at that point, I did for a few years have very difficult, heavy, confusing, cramp-filled periods. And I didn't think much about it at the time, except again, it was a very, very confusing, hard time for me because I was so young. But after a few years, my periods normalized. And so throughout high school, I didn't have many problems whatsoever. I just had normal cycles, normal periods. It was only when I was diagnosed years later that I looked back and said, huh, I wonder if that was one of my first signs that something wasn't quite right. And I believe that now. I believe that it probably was associated with the endo in some way, shape, or form. But again, I was eight. We had no way to know that whatsoever. I was just trying to deal with the trauma of going through all of that. So cut to high school, completely normal periods, completely fine through college. And then in my very early 20s, around the age of 19, 20, I was in physical therapy school and I started experiencing back pain and that was new to me. And it was just severe back pain. If I sat on the floor too long, I would have to lay down. I remember laying down on the backseat of cars because I just couldn't sit anymore. My back hurt so badly. I had an MRI. It didn't show anything. I had physical therapy with someone I really appreciated and trusted and nothing changed through physical therapy. And I remember at my last visit with her, she said, you know what? We have done so much and you're doing great. You're strong. You're fine. I don't see anything. Your MRI doesn't show anything. You might want to look into something more systemic. Like there might be something else going on. And I just remember clearly her telling me that then. So through PT school, again, it was mostly my back pain. That's what I was experiencing. And then I got out of PT school, started my first job. I was probably around the age of 23 at this point. I woke up in the middle of the night on one random night with severe right-sided lower abdominal pain. And it started, I think earlier in the night, I might've felt just a little nauseous or a little funny. No big deal. I went to sleep. I woke up and there was a knife in my stomach on the right side. And my husband now, my boyfriend at the time was there. And I said, I don't think this is good. (laughs) It proceeded to get worse and worse. And I assumed it was appendicitis. It's the only thing I could think that it would be. So at that point, it was so bad. He had to carry me to the car, drive me to the ER, carry me inside And I had ultrasounds, I had CT scans, I had a lot of pain medication that kept me overnight. And they didn't see much either, except some fluid around my right ovary and said, we think you had an ovarian cyst that burst. And when I looked at some of the tests, I said, well, that kind of makes sense when I, or when I looked at, when I looked that up online, because that's supposedly extremely painful. So I said, okay, that's probably what that was. And I kind of chalked it up to just something really 
random and weird that happened and left the ER and they said, please follow up with your PCP, which I did. They had to do more tests to make sure they completely ruled out appendicitis. Totally fine. Okay. Went on my way. And six months later, it happened again. Same side. Um, Rushed to the ER because I couldn't believe it was happening again. It was worse this time around. Again, I got carried in. I couldn't walk at that point. The pain was so severe. Did all the same tests, said the same thing. We think it's another ovarian cyst that burst. We recommend you follow up with the doctor and get more tests. So at that point, followed up. And it was my PCP I was dealing with. And she said, well, let's do a few more tests. Again, nothing. (laughs) Nothing. All the tests, nothing. And at that point, I had started to experience more back pain. I was getting this ovarian cyst sharp pain. And I was starting to get a lot of stomach issues. And I remember clearly, I was a physical therapist seeing 20 patients a day. And in between patients, I was in the treatment room on the ground, holding my stomach in a fetal position, just breathing, saying, I have two minutes, two minutes, get it together. You got to go back out there and not knowing at all what it was. I was 24 years old and I had a colonoscopy because they were trying to rule out so many things. They had just no idea what was happening. So finally, after two or three years of this and consistent testing, the most recent round of tests, my PCP called me and said, you know what? I think you might have endometriosis, which I had never heard of. She said, I think you need to see your OB because I think that might be what we're looking at here. And I remember getting off the phone with her and looking up online endometriosis and tears were running down my face because I knew that's what I had. I was reading everything online, reading the stories, reading the symptoms, and in my gut, I knew that was it. So I set up an appointment with my OB who said she would do surgery. After looking at all the tests and everything I had had done, she said, yep, it's worth going in to look. Because again, as we mentioned, the only way to diagnose it is through surgery. It does not show up. And I'm telling you, I had every every test imaginable. It doesn't show up on any testing. It doesn't show up in any blood work. So I had my first laparoscopic surgery. I woke up from anesthesia. The doctor came in and said, yep, you have endometriosis. She said, it's not curable. We cut out, we excised what we could. It will most likely grow back. This is something you'll have to manage and you may have a hard time having kids. Period. Done. I left that day and that was it. I didn't have a follow-up with her again. That's what I was left with. And that's what I went home with. And I proceeded to use the next few months to do everything I could to learn about endometriosis. My biggest want at that point in my life since I was a little girl was to be a mom. When I was told that would be hard, that changed a lot of things for me. Also, I had I was a movement professional. That's what I did. I taught movement. I was a physical therapist. I was a Pilates teacher. And yet for myself, I worked out just to burn calories. I just worked, right? That's what we did back then. It was like the year 2003. That's what we did. We just worked out to burn calories. Um, And it changed my relationship with movement. It changed everything for me. Realizing that I had a lifelong condition, that I was the only one that could do anything about it. 
So I made it my goal to do what I could. I decided that a label or a diagnosis of endometriosis would not control my life. I didn't know what I could do. I really didn't at that point. I had no idea. I just knew that I wanted to take some control back at that point. And so that's what I did. Personally, I read every book I could. Um, I didn't get into the forums. And again, this was almost 20 years ago. There probably weren't as many then, but you've heard me say this before. Online forums can be helpful sometimes, and they can also be a scary place to be. So that wasn't a helpful place for me, but I ordered books online that I still have on my bookshelf right now behind me. I ordered books from medical professionals. I ordered books on natural healing for endo. I tried many various diets. I went on a strict kind of anti-allergy diet for four weeks to find out if that would help. I tried different vitamins. I did so many things to decide what could possibly work for me. I had also been on birth control at this point, and this is important to know. We're going to get to this with treatment, but I had been at this point for a while. Um, and about a year after I was diagnosed, I took myself off birth control. And there are various reasons for it. I also have something called a prolactinoma um, that was flaring at that point. And so that was a big part of my decision. Um, but I just, I want to put it out there that I did about a year after my endo diagnosis, I took myself off birth control pills and I never went back on. So I did all of this management without actually being on birth control pills. I am not saying that's the right or wrong answer for anyone else out there. I just like, I always like to say it and be transparent and tell you what I was doing at the time. So I went off birth control and then what it looked like for me progressively Um, I'll tell you the few things that really work for me the most movement, regular, regular movement to keep the scar tissue stretched, to keep my hips stretched. So that is a big one for me to keep my, um, abdominal cavity moving. I do a lot of twisting. I do a lot of movement to just help that whole area. So really learning how to use movement again, not just to burn calories anymore, but to keep myself mobile and healthy that helped a ton. I personally went after all of the diet changes and trials that I did. I personally found that a gluten-free diet worked the best for me and really helps keep my symptoms at bay. And that's at this point, again, 20 years later, I'm at about an 80 to 85% gluten-free diet. Um, So it's not 100%. I can deal with a little bit here and there, and I definitely do. When we have fondue, I'm eating that bread, and I have no problem with it. But I have to keep it decreased. And there is some research out there that shows that a gluten-free diet can help endometriosis symptoms. There's just some. And there's some research that shows it doesn't do anything. I'm just telling you personally, I know it does help me. Because I know I flare up and get bloated if I eat a lot of gluten. Like, honestly, I can't drink a beer. I cannot. It makes me so bloated. It makes me feel so sick. And I know that's the endometriosis, so I just deal with it. So that's me personally. And that's what I mean about really trying to find your own patterns because that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter if it fits into the perfect paradigm that's out there online. What matters is that it works for you. So consistent movement, um, gluten-free as much as I can and keeping my stress down. And that's a hard one. (laughs) That is stressful. We all have, (laughs) oh, stress, the constant 
the constant, right? Um, but definitely for me, if I can keep my stress to a manageable place, and again, I have a whole previous podcast episode about that, about the importance of avoiding chronic stress for our health. And I can tell you when I'm in that chronic stress fight or flight place, it is not good for me personally and my endometriosis. So if I can keep it manageable and just deal with the daily stress without getting myself to that place of anxiety, that's important for me personally. So those are the three things that have helped me really the most. Um, and I, I really use those first couple years to try to, again, kind of trial and error those things. So the way my story progressed is I had the surgery and it, um, relieved my back pain, like almost completely. <laughs> my back pain was almost completely gone after surgery. That was amazing to me. I, in the next few years, did not have another ovarian cyst that burst at all. And we were able to get pregnant naturally with our daughter after five months of trying. I was 35 years old when that happened. And that was a miracle. That was an absolute miracle and unknown to me if that was going to happen. So I really thought that my endo was kind of gone. Or I thought, I, I got to a place I thought, you know what? It probably just isn't as bad as they told me. Like, I bet I bet it's not bad at all. I bet I shouldn't even tell people I have it anymore because it's probably really not that bad. And I don't, I don't want people to think, you know, feel sorry for me. That's what I thought. I was so lucky and so grateful to have our daughter. And I just thought endo was kind of um, in the rear view mirror for me, I guess. Uh... And then a year after we had our daughter, we decided to start trying to get pregnant again. And we tried 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 and we tried. And I went to go see an endocrinologist, a reproductive endocrinologist who did all the tests again, all the ultrasounds, all the CAT scans. I had fallopian tube tests to make sure they were working and I had all my hormones checked, everything and he said, I'm not seeing anything really uh, severe here that would explain why you're not getting pregnant. Um, why don't we do another surgery if you're up for it? We'll do another laparoscopic surgery. And I said, okay. So my first one was in 2005. Uh, that's when I was diagnosed. And then my second one was 11 years later. And I had my symptoms had gotten to that point that I was in pain, some kind of pain, probably 21 days out of every month, I'd say. About three weeks out of every month, I was in either cramping or, um, you know, joint pain, some kind of pain at that point. So I remember waking up from that surgery and I didn't see the surgeon. I was sent home and it was a really hard recovery. That one was a tough one. And I went back two weeks later for my follow-up uh, already feeling positive, like this is going to be fine. <laughs> and he walked in and he said, he looked me in the eye and he said, I have no idea how you look and function so well on the outside with what I found inside of you. He said, you have adhesions everywhere throughout your abdominal cavity. Everything's stuck together. You have what we call frozen pelvis the most severe type of endometriosis. And if you want any hope of having another baby, you will need to try IVF. And I feel like the bottom dropped out at that point for me. I really was like, what? 
Um, I, how has it gotten so much worse? Because I guess we didn't cover this in the myths, but one of the myths is that pregnancy cures endometriosis. And, uh, so I think it kind of surprised everyone. And that's why I say it's a myth, (laughs) but yeah, my endo got, um, much, much worse. I was 39, 38 or 39 years old at that point. And I felt lost. I felt lost, but I really knew I needed to recommit to, managing myself. Um, and I also decided, and this is important for anyone who has surgery. Again, when you come out and you get information, make sure that label doesn't define you because you were defined as a human being before you went into surgery. You were defined as a human being before you were given a diagnosis. Being given a diagnosis does not change who you are as a human being. Okay. And it doesn't change what you feel. Like, don't let yourself physically decide, oh, I could work out before, but I can't now because I've been giving a diagnosis. Well, no, if you could before, then you probably can now. And that's what I needed to really realize that I was still who I was before I was told that. And I needed to work to manage what that meant for me. So we did go through IVF. We went through um, a failed cycle and then... We went through one cycle with one embryo left, um, which ended up being our beautiful baby boy, who's five years old now. So I was able to get pregnant. And then two years after that, I had my hysterectomy. And a big reason I had my hysterectomy is because of my prolapse. If you know my history, you know that is the case. I had severe bladder, rectal, and uterine prolapse. So a hysterectomy for me was mostly due to the prolapse. I don't know if I would have had a hysterectomy just because of the endo. And I want to say I probably wouldn't have, to be honest, because I know it's not a cure. It might have helped, but I was at the point I could manage my pain. That was not my biggest concern. It was getting pregnant having my babies. And once I knew I was done with babies, I felt like I could manage my endo pain. It was much better than it had been before that second surgery. I just had my regular flares. I felt like I could deal with it. So I don't think I would have had the hysterectomy for only my endometriosis because it was under control. It was manageable. Um, I had the hysterectomy because of the prolapse. And since then, my endometriosis has um, been better, but it's still here. I had an ovarian cyst burst just about four months ago. My first one in a really, really, really long time. Uh, and so that was a bummer. (laughs) I didn't have to go to the hospital, but I knew what it was. I dealt with it overnight. It definitely put me down for a few days. I still get that. I still know when I'm cycling personally, I don't get a lot of pain around, um, my actual, like when I would be bleeding, I get pain around ovulation. So that's just something, again, I know my pattern. It's always been that way. My worst pain is always on ovulation. Um, I still have to manage it and I'm 45 years old now. I'm in perimenopause and I don't know what's going to happen going forward. I don't know if it'll get better as I go towards menopause. I just know it's something that is, uh, a big part of my body and other symptoms I feel. So I work, I work to manage it through all the things that I'll kind of talk about here as we lead into treatment. But that that tells you my, my long story with endometriosis and it might sound familiar to you. There might be things that are different. I consider myself very lucky even to this day because I can function with it. I can manage it. And I have my two babies. I, I could never, um, I could never not be thankful for that. And so that's kind of where I am with this body now that I have. 
So let's jump into a few treatment options. And again, these aren't things that I am necessarily recommending or not recommending. I am just listing them out so you know some options you have and some places that you can go and ask questions about if that's where you are. So one thing to know when we discuss this, endometriosis does not have a cure. It is not something that will be cured, but treatment will really have to do with addressing the symptoms and addressing the lesions as well, all right? So let's talk about surgery first, because again, I've had three of them, and many times it's going to be something that's discussed because it's the only way to diagnose it. So you just might be at the point where surgery is the only option because you've gone through everything else to try to figure out what is going on. So one recommendation I have, and you'll see this across the board, is that if you are going to have a surgery, have it be with someone who is an expert in endometriosis. All right, try not to just go to a regular surgeon or your regular OB unless they have experience with it. There are two things that they can do when they go in and they find endometriosis with the lesions. Okay, we're talking about all of those adhesions, I should say all of those adhesions that are there, which is all that scar tissue. One thing is called ablation, and that is pretty much agreed across the board not to be the recommended route. What you want is excision, and let me tell you the difference. The adhesions are um, like long ropes, or even mine look like bubble gum when I saw pictures of it. And then they bear down, they go down like like roots of a tree into whatever they're adhesed to. So ablation is just going to cut it off. It like burns it off. It cuts it off. Excision is going down into the roots and taking the whole thing out. So with excision, it's much more likely that it will stay away, okay? That it's not going to grow back. So excision is in general understood to be a better route. And again, that's something to ask your doctor about. But that's a question to ask is, is the person you're seeing or the surgeon you're seeing, um, experienced with excision endometriosis surgery. And it can be hard to find that, I know. One of the links and resources I'm going to give you below is something called Nancy's Nook. It's a really well-respected endometriosis organization, and they have a really great community that is willing to share information, and you can ask questions and get some great answers. So I'll put that below. And that's somewhere you can go if you are trying to find a surgeon in your area. But that's my recommendation for surgery. Like I said, for myself, it definitely helped. My first surgery helped my back pain tremendously and actually helped my ovarian cysts as well. I had a lot of um, relief after that first surgery. Second surgery, not so much, to be honest. It was important because I needed the information for IVF and my reproductive chances. I needed that info. I do think having surgery probably ended up helping my chances at IVF too because of the scar tissue they cut out but I didn't have a lot of immediate pain relief, that's okay also because I needed that other information. But I just like to be honest that sometimes it can really help. Sometimes it's more for information purposes. All right, another common treatment, one of the most common treatments is a hormone-based treatment. So the idea is supposedly by decreasing your estrogen, you can shrink the lesions in your body. And so that's why things such as birth control are recommended and there's other hormones that can be given, but the purpose typically is to decrease the estrogen in your body. All I want to say is one, be aware of it, that that's a really common option. 
Two, make sure you know what your goals are. Again, especially when it comes to having kids. How are those hormones going to affect you depending on your age? Some of them put you into a medical menopause depending on what they want to give you. Again, I am not saying that's right or wrong. It might be the option you need. Just be aware of what it's doing. Ask questions why they want to give it to you and make sure that you know and that they know what your long-term goals are so it doesn't affect those long-term goals. Again, when it comes to either having kids or other issues such as that, if you know you don't want to be in a medical menopause, those kind of things. But just know some hormone treatments are a very common type of treatment that's op- um, that's offered. Another thing, and I just want to throw it out there, there is a prescription medication now that came out a few years ago for endometriosis. I can't comment on it because I know nothing about it. It wasn't available when I was diagnosed. It was never offered to me. And by the time it was available, it was kind of not an option for various reasons. But that is something you can ask your doctor about as well if it seems like you might be a good candidate for it. And then other treatments when you're when we look at the surgery and then hormone treatments, the kind of third category is typically pain management kind of issues. So these, this is where physical therapy and especially pelvic floor physical therapy can really come in and be helpful, especially if you're having pain with sex. I'll be honest, pain with sex was a big problem for me with my endometriosis. And I remember bringing it up to my first surgeon and their answer was just take ibuprofen 30 minutes before you think you're going to have sex every time. Like that's what I was told. <laughs> Thanks. That's not very helpful, which it was not very helpful whatsoever. Pelvic floor PT can help a lot. So I highly recommend pelvic floor physical therapy. Like I mentioned, you can look at things such as movement that can help stress management techniques, looking at your digestive issues and what might help with that. Um, looking at what you're eating. There are lots of different ways to look at that pain management piece, but just know that can be, it's, it can be kind of helpful sometimes to say, you know what? Okay. This is the symptom I'm feeling from my endometriosis. Like for me, let's say my right SI pain, my hip pain, that's the symptom I'm feeling. So I'm going to deal with that because I can't cure my endo, but I can still deal with this hip. So how would I deal with that? Even if endo wasn't involved. I would deal with it by doing SI joint exercises. I would deal with it by staying strong in that joint, by conserving my energy, by drinking a lot of water, by having physical therapy. So make sure that you're not just letting that pain go because endo isn't cured. You can still help the symptoms that you're feeling. So make sure that you're taking the time to address those. And then kind of the final piece is that mood piece because there can be a very a very common issue around depression, around anxiety and stress with any kind of chronic pain, especially endometriosis, when there are things such as hormone issues and infertility involved and the possibilities for the future. There's so much wrapped up in an endometriosis diagnosis and pain. So don't ignore that piece. Address it Give yourself the space that you need to figure that out, whether it be therapy or groups that might help support groups or talking to your partner or your family or journaling or giving yourself space to walk or just letting yourself cry sometimes. I spent so much time on my mat during that time um, and it was a hard time. 
there were some hard times involved. At times, I just wanted to be so mad at my body, saying, why are you like this? Why can't you just be like everyone else? What is wrong with you? And I talked to it that way. And sometimes all I could do was lay out my mat and get on my mat and just cry and move. And that's what I did. That was my meditation. That was my healing. And not much changed after those 30 minutes, except I gave myself space to acknowledge it. And I remember the moment that I finally looked down to my belly and I said, you know what? I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry that you're hurting. I know you don't want to. I know this isn't your fault. What can I do for you? How can I help? And moving forward in that mentality helped a lot. It changed my partnership with my body. It changed how I looked at this condition I have. Um, And I think that's an important place to get to if you can. Even if you can't love your body, that's okay. But can can you understand it's not here to fight you? It doesn't want this any more than you do. Your partner's in this. And I think the more we can walk forward with that understanding, I think the better off we'll be. Thank you so much for making it through this episode. I know it was a long one. I know it was a lot of information. And I feel, again, if you're listening to this and you have endometriosis, there's a sisterhood involved with that. You're not alone. Even if you feel like you are, you aren't. And just the more we talk about it and the more information that gets out there and the more people know they aren't alone, the better off. We're all going to be, more research will be done more proper, correct information can get out there. We can help ourselves and we can help other people as well. So thank you for being here and listening. Again, I'll have some resources below. I'm going to have my endometriosis resource guide. I'll have my endometriosis workout there as well that I use um, during times of having a flare. I'll put the Nancy's Nook link below and feel free to share this episode with anyone in your life who might need it. Thanks so much for being here and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining me today on Meet Your Body. If you have a moment, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast as it helps us tremendously. For more resources and workouts, you can visit my website, jessicavalantpilates.com or find me on YouTube or Instagram at jessicavalantpilates.com.